KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm News Director Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, 25 years ago, Matthew Shepard, a young gay man, was brutally murdered in Laramie. It sent shockwaves across the world. The impact at that moment in time was simply how horrifying it was. Not that it happened in Wyoming, not that it happened in Laramie, the fact that it happened. Residents and young people share their thoughts on how attitudes towards LGBTQ people in Wyoming may have shifted in the years since his death. Also, we get to know more about KHOL's One Small Step project that is bringing people together from across the political spectrum to sit down, talk, and listen to one another. These are conversations where people can sit down to get to know someone who's different than them. And ultimately, a lot of people are finding out that they're not that different. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for tuning in today. There's a new mural on Jackson's bike path honoring Northern Arapaho Native Americans. Students from the Wind River Reservation worked with an artist and language teacher to make a piece that depicts the four hills of life. KJL's Hannah Mersbach reports. Around 50 students, part of Wyoming's Northern Arapaho tribe, crowd together on Jackson's bike path as they prepare for the ribbon cutting. They're next to the Garman Tunnel, the home of the colorful 80-foot-long mural. Say it with me. Yene. Arapaho language teacher Lorraine Goggles is having the students go through the four hills of life, the subject of the mural they helped create. So that's the four hills of life. In our culture, it's just, it's everything. You know, it's our life. Wind River artist Colleen Friday worked with the students from elementary to high school age to come up with the idea for the mural and use paint by numbers to fill it in. She says the students initially drew water, mountains, and buffalo in a brainstorming session. So through that, I meshed our culture, our Arapaho identity to share with this community. Friday says depicting the four hills of life made sense because it includes all the students' ideas. Mountains and rivers run throughout the piece. The first section, the first hill of life, includes a buffalo calf and cow. Friday says it represents childhood and birth, or the spring season, while the second hill represents youth, or summer. Like getting out and gathering food and getting ready to go into fall in the end of the year. The colors darken as the mural moves into fall, or adulthood. It's like learning to speak up and give back to your community and people. The fourth hill represents winter, but also the culture of storytelling. An elder is shown sitting with a cane, speaking to the silhouettes of children. It's a realistic painting of an Arapaho elder who taught the native language and oral history to youth. What's humbling to me is my dad is in the artwork. That's the elder's son, Pat Moss, who's also at the celebration. He's the chairman of Fremont County School Board and came to support the students but says he was taken aback when he saw his father was included in the mural, which he says shows the Northern Arapaho way. And it will be shared now with everyone in the community and and those who walk this path. The mural was made in collaboration with Jackson Hole Community Pathways and Jackson Hole Public Art, 
which are trying to make the bike path not just a means of transportation, but a place in the community. Mayor Haley Morton Levinson says she encourages having art in public locations like this. I walk or bike this path often with my family and being able to enjoy this art and kind of think about that on my regular dog walk is a really special thing. Students from Jackson Hole High School also were there to learn about the mural and act as local ambassadors for the art piece. Some of them worked on the mural on the other side of the Garman Tunnel. That one represents Mexican culture, highlighting parts of Tlaxcala, the Mexican state where many in the community have roots. We have a lot of different pieces of culture that maybe haven't always been highlighted, and it's really important to me to have them highlighted so that we all know about those cultures. All these folks are part of our community. Bikes whiz by and dogs bark as Morton Levinson prepares to cut a ribbon, celebrating the new mural. She encourages the kids to come help her. Together, they hold big blue scissors around the red and white ribbon. All right, three, two, one. Yay! And with that, the kids disperse, some taking in the new mural, others playing by the nearby Flat Creek under the changing yellow trees. Their Arapahoe teacher, Lorraine Goggles, says this is a big moment for them. Look, they're all happy, they're all smiling, and they know which parts they did. It'll be a memory for them for a long time. So, aho. Meaning, thank you in Arapahoe. Hannah Mersbach, KH12 News. You're tuned to Jackson Unpacked. I'm Tyler Pratt. Allison Sperry is a local documentarian who works mostly in film. She likes to say she's a social worker turned filmmaker, and now she's turned her focus to audio, collecting conversations for KHOL's One Small Step project. It's a collaboration with StoryCorps to bring people together for one-on-one conversations. Residents sit down together for roughly an hour and talk about life, politics, religion, their beliefs, and more. These moments will live on through StoryCorps and in the Library of Congress. We're hosting a free public listening event in Jackson on the 1st of November to share some of these conversations. So I recently sat down with Sperry to talk about her process of getting people together from across the political spectrum and what else she learned from the process. These are conversations for people who are hungering to hear from the other side and are interested in expressing themselves too. These are conversations where people can sit down to get to know someone who's different than them. And ultimately, a lot of people are finding out that they're not that different in the end. They're not political by nature. When we discuss issues in the community, it's focused around why these things are important to you, not any sort of platitudes or arguments about why why they should be one way or another. When I consider how to pair people, I'm not looking at just their political beliefs. I'm also looking at their inclinations on religion or their spirituality and what life experiences they've had to find a match. So what are some of the things that you were surprised by as you were listening to these conversations and seeing two people who have very different viewpoints on life come together and talk and share their experiences? I don't know if I was surprised by this, but it really pleased me to see people connect. Um, there is, of course, that's the goal here, but there's a level of anxiety. Like, what if it doesn't work? What if they don't have chemistry? What if 
the conversation just doesn't go in that direction. And um, I'm really tickled to see that in every one of these conversations, people have been themselves pleasantly surprised by, oh my God, we have so much in common, or I'm just so curious about your life. I think people's curiosities have been really the driving force that has helped people connect with each other. In the conversations that you put together, were there any sort of aha moments between the two people where they maybe shifted their thinking or or saw something differently than maybe they hadn't before? I think the aha moments are really those moments of like peaked curiosity. Somebody says something and in a normal, casual conversation, you might jump in right away with your differing opinion. But here, I encourage people to ask, you know, and why is that important to you? Why is that issue important to you personally? So the ahas are from restraining your own opinion and leaning into your curiosity about why someone believes what they believe. Those are the moments that bring some clarity, whether or not you believe with what the person's saying, but they bring some clarity as to where the foundation for that opinion comes from. Speaking of the questions, I ran into one of the One Small Step participants in town and we talked about their experience. And she shared with me, she woke up feeling nervous that day and then came in and that you had really put her at ease and then kind of gave some maybe ground rules or or ways of thinking and, and, and taking on the conversation. What are some of the things that you tell the participants as they're sitting down together to sort of give a framework to how it's going to go? Yeah, StoryCorps has been great with providing me with structure based on the years that they've been doing this project. They trained me to share with to share with the pairs when they sit down some rules that are, you know, rules of engagement. Um, and so it's that we're coming into this conversation with curiosity and not assuming that we know what the other person thinks or believes. We're going to share the time equally and not interrupt one another. We're going to refrain from derogatory language. We're going to refrain from using derogatory language. We're going to speak for ourselves about our own experiences rather than generalize about any demographic group that we might be a part of. We're going to respect each other's differences and try not to persuade or convince each other of our own opinions. You know, we live in a increasingly polarized climate, especially right now. We're gearing up for an election year. Do you think that people who come out and listen to these conversations, there's any lessons that they can take away from them to how they carry discussions as they walk away and continue to talk about divisive topics moving forward? I imagine so. I mean, I'm taking away a lot from being on the producing side of these conversations. I am taking away the impression that people are really coming in good faith. They're showing up with the right attitude in mind to engage with another person in a productive way, in a thoughtful way, and in a compassionate way. And that makes me feel really good. That's Allison Sperry, producer for the One Small Step Initiative in Jackson. We now turn to KHOL Executive Director Emily Cohen to introduce the last in a series of One Small Step conversations we're showcasing on Jackson Unpacked. KHOL continues with our StoryCorps initiative to connect Jackson Hole locals for one-on-one conversations. One Small Step brings people with different beliefs and backgrounds to talk and discover common ground. Two Jacksonites 
Kelsey Yarzab, and Alex Maramsev met for the first time for a one-small-step conversation last summer. Yarzab, a progressive young professional, moved to Jackson a few years ago after college. Like Maramsev, she's originally from the East Coast. Maramsev and his family moved to Jackson over a decade ago. Maramsev works in finance and Yarzab in the nonprofit sector. Here's a portion of their recent conversation. What made you want to do this interview today, Alexander? You can call me Alex. Great. I was just about to ask. You know, the main reason is I'm a conservative and a Republican. And I've been very active with Republican politics locally and statewide. And I feel particularly in Teton County, it's very hard for us to get our message across. And there's so many negative stereotypes of what it means to be a Republican. That if you say you're a Republican here, there's this instant stereotype that's very negative. And a lot of people really, they just, the wall comes right down. And so I'd like to uh, try to dispel some of those inaccurate stereotypes. That's amazing. So Kelsey's bio, I identify myself as a, left, as a leftist communitarian. I believe in the power of communities to uplift and support us all. I grew up in rural New Jersey, but moved to Jackson, Wyoming about three years ago. Raised in a conservative religious community, I grew into an outspoken feminist and later an openly bisexual woman. I'm 24 and striving to build a life in this place that I love. I do not know what a leftist communitarian is, but when I see the word leftist, it kind of gets my hackles up. (laughs) So leftist communitarian is a deliberately vague moniker for me. To say that I identify as a Democrat would betray my true beliefs and viewpoints, especially in the environment that we find ourselves in at this current national moment. Um, I don't feel that the two-party system represents my values or my views or uh, where I see our country going in the next generation. So a communitarian, right, is like the is a communist light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so communism is such a dirty word, of course. Yes. Um, when I would tell people that I identify as a communist, the same thing would happen to me as you described with identifying as a Republican in this community. Immediate, and it's not just here; it's nationwide. Where I grew up, where I went to college living here, living abroad. Communism has an extremely negative connotation in the minds of Americans. Full disclosure, my father is Russian and our family fled the Russian Revolution. So So there you go, right? It's a bad word in my household. Absolutely. And I think that the word communism brings along with it all of this history that is extremely divided, extremely um, tense and hostile for a lot of people. And so... When I call myself a communitarian, it really means that I believe that our power exists at the community level. I believe in local action. I believe in um, local government that is not only effective, but also well-funded and trusted. And those are not conditions that we find ourselves in often Mm -hmm. on a national level. So the thing that I really connected to about communism was the idea of 
community-based power, right? The workers own the means of production. That kind of ownership inspires a kind of leadership and a kind of commitment to better understand your neighbors because we all rely on each other and also a commitment to make the place that you're in a better place. So that's where communitarian comes from. It's a placeholder yeah. or an well, ideology in a party that has not yet become. You had me until you started talking about workers owning the means of production. Because I would have summed up a lot of what you said as community activist. Right. Cares about the community, Absolutely. wants to be part of the solution. Well, I'll say, unfortunately, workers owning the means of production it's has not... a terrible historical record. Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well. But I agree that income inequality is a serious problem in this country. And I think it's a real threat to our democracy. And I'm in the 1%, but... I don't believe in wealth redistribution, but I think also the tax structure has really gotten distorted to the benefit of the few and to the disadvantage of the many. And I believe in capitalism and the free markets, and it's only recently that I started to become pro-union when I really see, quite honestly, the, the way so many workers are mistreated or exploited, and there, there is a great imbalance. Can I ask you what brought you to your change of heart surrounding unions? Again, just, just more reading more and more and having some personal interaction with people who I think are really underpaid, sort of hostile work cultures. You know, your, your schedule was never the same. It would just be random and you wouldn't know until maybe a week ahead of time. And if, for example, you're a single mother, how do you plan for childcare? Absolutely. If you don't know what your schedule is going to be. That's an excellent point. And this, this whole, the growing ratio of CEO pay to average worker pay, every year it just gets worse and worse and worse Absolutely. to the point where even I'm disgusted. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I, again, I come from an extremely pro-union family. So my dad was a police officer and he was in a union. My mom fought for a union as a nurse, didn't get it. And the differences and benefits and impacts to our lives was so significant. I'm still on my dad's health insurance. I'm 24 years old and we get it thanks to mm -hmm. a union. That was Jackson Hole locals Alex Maramsev and Kelsey Yarzab during a One Small Step Conversation, a nationwide initiative from StoryCorps and K-12 that aims to mend political divisions one conversation at a time. These conversations are happening now through the end of the year. StoryCorps' One Small Step and the radio station hubs are made possible by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We are hosting a free public listening event on the 1st of November at the Center for the Arts at 7 p.m. The evening will feature a live One Small Step conversation with former Mayor Pete Muldoon and Town Council member Jim Rooks. The two ran against each other in 2020 for a town council seat. They've agreed to sit down for their first conversation since that contentious election. Additionally, other participants will share their reflections on their own one-small-step conversations. KHOL will also debut a new rotating public art exhibit with snippets of recorded one-small-step conversations 
programmed into vintage rotary phones. For more information and to sign up for a One Small Step conversation, visit 891-KHOL.org. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. At nearly 1,000 acres, this private western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger-Teton National Forest. Not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. If you're just joining us, you're tuned to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tyler Pratt. It was 25 years ago that Matthew Shepard, a young gay man, was brutally murdered in Laramie. It was a tragedy that was felt around the world. This month, Wyomingites and the LGBTQ community have been reflecting on the anniversary of Shepard's death and sharing their thoughts on how attitudes towards queer people both here and across the U.S. have shifted in the years since. While longtime residents may remember those events a quarter century ago, many college students weren't alive yet when it happened. Wyoming Public Radio's Jordan Uplinger interviewed people around the University of Wyoming campus to see what they think about the historic event. I heard a little bit about them when I was a child, but when I came to the university and started getting involved here, I learned a lot more about it, and I have attended several of the vigils and different events around it. I was five years old living in Florida when I was a kid, and I learned about Matthew Shepard when I moved here for school in 2017. That's how I learned about it, just through the Laramie community getting involved here. I first learned about Matthew Shepard in my sophomore year of high school, and I was in the theater program in Cheyenne, where I grew up, and I told my teacher for a project I was working on that I wanted to do a play about LGBT people, because I was just starting to like realize my identity. And she said, oh, you should read this. And it was the Laramie Project. The impact at that moment in time was simply how horrifying it was. Not that it happened in Wyoming, not that it happened in Laramie, the fact that it happened. And it was, it was eye-opening for a lot of people that that level of violence existed. Safer than they were 25 years ago. I definitely think they have a bigger community now. Safety? I'm not too sure. I actually just moved here, so I don't know how it was back then, but I'm from San Francisco, so I've seen a lot of hate crime toward people who come from that background. I'm happy that people feel that they can be their, their true selves and not have to hide it from the world. At the same time, politics feels like it's going backwards when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights. I feel like LGBTQ plus people are, are being targeted and attacked. And this is coming from everywhere from school boards to lawmakers to people in DC. They're, it feels like they're all going after them. We're not 100% there, obviously. It's a little bit better, but I still don't see it where a lot of folks are comfortable still. We have a lot of Sally homophobia in Wyoming. We have a lot of folks that are just full of hate, Sally. So we're still, there's still so much work to be done. I do think they've changed for better, but I don't know quite what all that's saying. You know, you can go from zero to one, but at the end of the day, that's still a one. I can even see it kind of around the union as is. Like, we got Chick-fil-A opening over there, which that does not scream good things to me about our treatment or thoughts towards queer people. 
I definitely think they've changed. I don't think that he could have ever imagined that gay marriage would have been legalized. I think that that is something that is fantastic. However, on the other side, some things definitely haven't changed. It is still, like I said, like as a queer person in Laramie, like I think there's a really welcoming community here specifically, but there's also some antagonistic aspects of it. Um, so I would say like general social acceptance, I say would be up, but I think in terms of the laws and the legislation that we put in place to protect people, I think that's still really lacking for that community. The community as a whole, I think here in Laramie specifically, has always been a much more open community. We have an incredibly diverse population, thanks to the university, and that bleeds over into the city of Laramie itself. So I feel like the acceptance and the welcoming of the community and people to people, not organizations and stuff, is really what matters. Informing those groups and spaces that people can be safe and you know, feel uh, connected with those around them rather than fearful from those around them. I'm happy that like people like my kids can feel comfortable being their true selves in school, but at the same time, I'm scared with the heat that I could bring on them. You know what I mean? That was university students Jamie, Michelle, and Henry Miller, community member Bonnie, university advisor Emily Grace Peel, Dr. Thomas Owen Mazzetti, community organizers Rosarena Pugh and Antonio Serrano. The interviews were conducted by Wyoming Public Radio's Jordan Uplinger. Jackson Hole is getting a dose of soul and some funk. The Bay Area-based band Monophonics have been entertaining audiences with their unique sound since 2012. The band prides itself on showcasing the stylings of the late 60s and early 70s while staying rooted in the present with an eye towards the future. Monophonics have taken their show to dozens of countries around the world and are known for putting on memorable performances with their soulful songwriting and skilled musicianship on full display. In advance of his show, on Friday, October 27th, at the Center for the Arts, band leader and lead singer Kelly Finnegan joined KHOL music director Jack Catlin over the phone at the KHOL studios. So monophonics have a unique style that you've referred to as a mix of heavy soul and psych rock, while your label, Coalmine, calls monophonics the world's premier psychedelic soul band. Where did that style, that combo of psych and soul of modern and vintage come from originally, and how has it evolved? When I joined monophonics, it was around 2010 and 11. And when you looked out at the playing field of bands or artists that were playing true, authentic soul or funk music, R&B, whatever you want to call it, it was a very small list compared to now. And really what you could see was the big influence on a lot of those bands was the soul review, the James Brown, the Joe Tex, the the Sam and Dave. You know what I mean? It's like this high energy stepping, dancing People wearing suits, people wearing dresses, looking good, looking sharp. But then by the end of it, they look like a mess because they've just put on this incredible show. And when we came out, we loved that and we were fans of all that. But we definitely didn't want to be that. And that didn't feel like who we were. And when we started digging through a lot of stuff that we loved, that we thought, wow, this really suits who we are. And this really fits the kind of sound that we love. And that really was Sly and the Family Stones. 
It was early Funkadelic records. It was the Temptations records that are produced by Norman Whitfield. So I'm talking about like Ball of Confusion and Cloud Nine. I'm talking about like Curtis Mayfield, you know, Isaac Hayes, Hot Buttered Soul. These were all records that were really influenced by what was at that point kind of rock and psych culture with artists like a Jimi Hendrix. These artists were impacted by that. I mean, people saw when you talk about a record like Bitches Brew, that was a direct inspiration of what was going on in the rock and funk scene with people like Jimmy and Sly. So that spoke to us and we wore that on our sleeve. And what we really felt best about was nobody was really doing that. Nobody was putting a bunch of echo on their vocals and putting a bunch of fuzz on stuff. And you know what I mean? Slapbacks and delays and phasers. And like we were just trying to go out there. So that's where it all grew from. And then as you kind of dig into that sound, it just turned into more and more of the growth and digging deeper into what to us psych soul means that term psychedelic soul, which to us has now grown into a bigger world which is natural as a band because you want to grow and you want to explore and you want to, you just want to take chances. You want to try new things. That's just how it is. You know, I've been on both sides. I am that listener and that fan that hears that new record and goes, Oh, this is very different. (laughs) (laughs) I love this band, but I'm not really sure what's going, you know, I don't catch what they're like. You're just not there. And then maybe a few years later you go, Oh yeah, cool. Like sometimes that happens. And as a band, I get the other side, like as an artist and a musician, I get the other side of you go, well, we can't just make another insert like record name, even Mm -hmm. as successful and great as it was. The last thing the Beatles wanted to do was just make another Rubber Soul, another Revolver, another Sgt. Peppers, another Magical. That's why they kept pushing it. Mm -hmm. And then they went full circle and just ended up with like, the the let it be sessions which was just like stripped back down no production so well you guys use a lot of vintage instrumentation and techniques both in the studio and on stage you obviously appreciate the craftsmanship of old school recordings and the deep rich and soulful sounds they produce can you touch on that love for doing it the old school way and why it's so important to your style and your sound it comes down to when you put people in a room and you present them with a song you present them with chords and melodies and and a concept of what the song is about. And you get them playing the song and inserting their own style and vibe. Something really magical happens. And of course you could do that and go to a digital format like Logic or Pro Tools or something like that. But in this case, I really love what tape offers to that process. And I love really love what analog recording offers to that process. And I've been a fan of how it affects the people in the room and the musicians and how it affects the performance and obviously the way it sounds. It's just like a lot of things that are older. There's just something magic about it. It's hard to explain. There's a great interview with DJ Quick about analog recording. And although what he's saying could be kind of looked at as, as a little philosophically kind of like heady, you know what I mean? Because he's talking about like the molecules in the room. But, <laughs> but when you really break down what analog recording is, because I don't think it's like the concept of what the tape is capturing and the science and chemistry and like how the tape is made and everything. It's like, it is pretty heady stuff when you learn about all the things that go into how the music is captured on analog tape. There's something about it that really drives me. And is just as a creator, it just feels like the right way to do the music that I'm trying to create. 
you channel a lot of influences that reflect a lifetime immersed in the music you love so much, soul, R&B, even hip hop. Why do you think soulful music resonates more than any other genre? I think there's a simplicity to it and an honesty to it that I don't want to say doesn't live in all music because that would be pretty egotistical to just say, yeah, soul music is pure and honest and real and everything. It's like, no. Obviously, when you go to the root of soul music, you're going back to like, spirituals and people singing in the fields you know what i mean and like people singing hymns and people singing in the church and then the church turns into rhythm and blues and rock and roll and then it gets to soul and obviously when you have a music that's so rooted in what is a lot of pain but also a lot of hope and a lot of love and like all the ups and downs that life bring when you're dealing with that subject matter mostly it automatically speaks to people there's nothing complex about struggle or falling in love or heartbreak or just the obstacles that we all face every day. And then musically, I just think, like I said, there's something simple about it. You know, guitar, drums, bass, maybe an organ, some nice horns to fill it out or some nice background singers to give it more of a gospel feel. I think it's just raw and real. That was monophonic band leader Kelly Finnegan speaking with Jack Catlin. You can catch their show at the Center for the Arts later this month. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Taylor Pratt, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.